Let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, last week uh, the Lord warned us about false prophets. And this week he warns us about false faith. The epistle lesson for today, 1 Corinthians 10, 6 through 13, teaches us that the danger is not only outside of us, but it's also in us. So we're not only to beware of others. This means we're also to beware of ourselves. Even if there's no false prophet within a thousand miles of you, you're still in constant danger because of your own heart. So today's epistle lesson is a warning against false faith, which is another way of saying beware of believing or trusting or depending upon yourself, especially to keep you a Christian. So the epistle lesson begins saying these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Well, what things is he talking about? Who is Paul referring to and what did they do? Well, he's referring to the things that happened to Israel in the wilderness after the exodus. Okay, so I don't have the time to recount the entire history of what happened to Israel, but here's a brief summary. Egypt enslaved the people of Israel for 430 years. But God had mercy upon Israel and he punished the Egyptians by sending the 10 plagues. Uh, He turned water into blood, uh, sent a swarm of uh, frogs or gnats, uh, locusts. Uh, There was the death of the livestock, death of the firstborn and so on. Uh, Finally, God parted the Red Sea for Israel and then Israel passed by on dry ground. And then the Egyptians, while they were in the middle of it, he collapsed the, the sea on top of them and they drowned. He defeated them. So God didn't have to be gracious to Israel or save them, but he chose to. He loved them, and so he had mercy on them. So after all of these great and mighty works of God, parting the ocean or parting the sea, uh, um, sending the plagues, all of these sort of things, saving them, after all of these great and mighty acts from God that saved Israel from 430 years of being tortured and enslaved to the Egyptians, How do you think the Israelites responded? Well, Paul lists five ways in the epistle. He says, first, they craved evil. They were idolatrous. They indulged in sexual immorality. They put Christ to the test. And finally, they grumbled against God. Believe it or not, we have some detailed insight as to what exactly happened in the wilderness during that time. Uh, Psalm 106 is about that time. Uh, and it tells us, I, I can't read the entire thing, but you should. It's, it's fascinating. But Psalm 106 tells us exactly what's going on. So I'm just going to read a few verses which lay out how they responded. So at first, uh, it, it says, after, after God saved Israel from the hand of the foe and redeemed them from the power of the enemy. They believed his words. They sang his praise, but they soon forgot his works and they put God to the test. And then the psalm goes on to say, they made a calf in Horeb and worshiped a metal image. They exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. 
they forgot God, their Savior. And then it goes on to say, they even did this. They sacrificed their sons and daughters to demons. They poured out innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. I'll stop there. Uh, The point is, this is how they responded to the God who saved them. They stopped believing in him. So God saved them, and this is how they responded. And how do you think the Lord responded to them? God warned them several times, and then he punished them for their unbelief. His, when his patience ran out, he first he killed all of the leaders of Israel who were allowing this to happen. Then, when Israel continued hating him and didn't repent, he killed 3,000 of those who committed adultery. Then, when they didn't repent again, he killed 23,000 who committed sexual immorality. Then he killed many more for testing him. And finally, he killed 14,700, the scriptures say, for grumbling against him. So just to put this into perspective, um, there were about 600,000 Israelites who wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And out of these 600,000, how many do you think made it to the promised land? Two. Uh, Only Joshua and Caleb. And the rest died in the wilderness. Okay. So, why do you need to know all of this? Why did I just tell you that whole history? Well, it's because these are, everything I said, are the these things that Paul is talking about. Uh, When you see this, the first thing that should strike you is how serious sin is and how angry uh, it makes God. Sin is no joke or laughing matter. Idolatry, adultery, wicked passions, testing God, even complaining against God are all very serious sins. You see, uh, we tend to downplay the seriousness of sin. Uh, We hear the gospel in every sermon, every service, every hymn. We hear and trust in the forgiveness of sins uh, that comes freely through the death of Christ Jesus. And this is a great and glorious thing. However, if you think that the reason God forgives our sins is because our sin is not a big deal, then you have no idea what the gospel is. The reason Jesus poured out every ounce of life and blood in his body on the cross is exactly because sin is serious. All of them. So if you don't find joy or peace in the gospel, then it's most likely because you don't take sin or your sin or anybody's sin very seriously. When you think little of sin, then you're going to think little of what Jesus did to save you from your sin. However, the more you realize how evil and wicked and disgusting and filthy sin is, then the more you will love and appreciate and rejoice in the gospel. All right. Uh, So Paul said these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Simply put, learn. Uh, What happened to Israel is the sign. It's the warning. So don't think of sin lightly. Don't desire to do what they did. Don't worship money or your career or your success or your leisure or your own body over God. Don't give in to your lusts and passions and think that there's no consequence for such things. Don't hold tightly onto your belongings and be greedy. Don't grumble and complain. You cannot worship God and money. Don't think 
ah, all of this sin stuff is no big deal. I'll give into it now a little today and I'll just stop later. It's fine. I'm still fine. I'm a Christian at heart and that's what keeps me going. If you think this, may God have mercy on your soul. If you think of sin so lightly, if you give into it constantly thinking that it's trivial, thinking that you'll be all right through it all, then you have not learned a thing. In fact, you are just like those foolish Israelites who thought the same exact thing. You're the same kind of person they are. So if God finds you impenitently lustful, idolatrous, disobedient, and immoral, things are going to go the same for you as they went for Israel. If you're so sure of yourself and you think you stand firm, God will let you fall away. He will give you up. This is the point I want to drive home. And I, that, this is the point that the text is driving home. You are not to look at Israel or at people in the Bible or even the people around you now or in your life and just scoff and say, that'll never happen to me. Or say, come on, I'm never going, I'm never going to do that, right? I'm, I'll never do that thing or I'll always be okay. I'm always going to be fine. I'm, I'm strong. I'm a strong Christian. You're not to think that you're stronger than they are. In fact, if you do, beware. If you think you stand firm, take heed lest you fall. Just a quick footnote here. This this text doesn't sound like the Bible is teaching once saved, always saved, does it? In fact, it sounds an awful lot like we can fall away from grace, from faith in God. That's precisely what this text is teaching. God warns us so that we don't fall away from him into unbelief through our sin. Uh, consider this quote from St. Augustine summarizing all of this. He said, there is no sin someone else can commit that you cannot commit also. There's no sin that somebody else can do that you are incapable of doing. You're all capable of the same thing. Uh, everyone you see fall into, uh, falling into really terrible, ugly, and manifest sins, they're made of the same flesh, this, they're the same substance as you, plagued by the same sin that courses through your veins. And those people at one time thought that they too would never fall. Don't look down on your brother no matter how strong or weak he is because you don't know how long you'll remain. A, a fall will come soon. So you need to do better. Uh, you need to be schooled and instructed and learn from their mistake. So what was their mistake? Pride. They trusted in themselves. Peter said this to Jesus. He said, even if I must die with you, Lord, I will never deny you. And what happened? He denied the Lord three times. He spoke out of pride, not humility. So I can't tell you the amount of times I've heard people say, uh, look, pastor, you don't have to worry about me. I'll never slander or gossip. And then I watch as they slander and gossip in some of the nastiest and most vicious ways. I've heard people say, uh, I'll always come to church. I'll always be here. And the next thing you know, they're nowhere to be found. I've heard people say, look, don't, don't worry about me. 
I'm a strong Christian. I'm a strong Lutheran. In fact, I'm, I'm just going to take a break for a little while just to see them fall harder and further away than anyone else. To tell you the truth, when I hear someone say, I'll never or I'll always or don't worry, that's when I worry. I just get sad because this is what the scriptures say. Proverbs 16 verse 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. And Luke 14, 11 says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. So I'm, I'm not the only one who's seen this. I know we've all seen this. We've all seen Christians, not only in the church, uh, but uh, out in the world, um, fall into soul-destroying patterns of sin. They fall into impenitence and they harden their hearts and then eventually deny the faith. And these Christians are ones who are baptized, who were confirmed, who were communed and so on. And this happens in the church throughout all time. So why is it that they fall away? It's not because they weren't as strong as we are. They fell away because they thought they were strong. They confided in themselves and they were prideful. They were indifferent to sin, and so they thought they didn't need to or even want to repent. They thought they could fix their situation. They could stand on their own. They could handle their own sin. They could deal with it without having to repent, handling their own temptations. And so they let their guard down. They stopped admitting their weakness. They stopped confessing their sin. And so for that reason, they stopped needing and relying upon Jesus. And so they fell away. Uh, let me be clear. Uh, you don't make yourself a Christian. And neither can you keep yourself a Christian. You cannot keep yourself from falling away. If you think you can, if you, if you even try, then you will fall away every single time. Uh, the, the exact reason Christians fall away is because they rely upon themselves. If you rely upon your own faithfulness and dedication to God, you will fail time and time again, and you won't be a Christian for much longer. You cannot do it. Your will isn't strong enough. You are not good enough. So you must never rely upon your own faithfulness to God. Rather, you are to rely solely upon God's faithfulness to you. This is what 1 Corinthians says. Uh, God is faithful and he will not let you be tested beyond the ability he has given you. You see, this is the point of the text. The temptation or the test here that this text is talking about is not just the temptation to fall into sin in general. The temptation is to fall away, to fall into unbelief. The fall that this is talking about is not just falling into some sin, but falling into impenitence, falling into unbelief. It's a fall away from grace, a fall away from God. So this text isn't saying that if you're really, really good, uh, one day you're going to stop sinning. Or, and it's not saying that if you try really, really hard, then one day you're just going to be perfect. The text is saying that God will give you a way out of a very specific temptation. And that is the temptation to unbelief. You can't endure that temptation on your own. Only God can keep you from falling away. So in the midst of this warning, this is still a great comfort for us. 
And the reason the Lord warns you against pride and arrogance and self-trust and carnal security is entirely because he has done everything you need for your salvation. Not only to give it to you, but to keep it with you. He warns you to never depend upon yourself or to become or remain a Christian, but to depend only upon him. So you'll sin and you'll fail and you'll let God down time and time again, but God is faithful and he will not let you down. Has God ever let you down before? Has he not spared his own son and given him up for you? The Lord Jesus went to the cross not simply to be an example to you. He went to be your substitute and to take your place and to become your savior. He made you his own when he washed you in the flood of his blood and when you were a helpless little infant plagued by sin and death. The Lord saved you and brought you out of the slavery of hell. He brought you here into his promised land. He not only called you by the gospel, but he keeps you with that same gospel. So dear saints, when you are tempted to give up the faith to stop believing, when, you're, uh, when you feel yourself thinking little of sin and taking it lightly, when you're feeling confident in yourself, thinking that you yourself are strong and a secure Christian, then repent and don't rely upon yourself or trust in yourself. Rather, remember that you are sinful and weak and that you cannot depend or trust on God, uh, depend upon yourself. And when you remember that you're weak, then you trust in and depend upon Jesus to save you. This is what it means when Paul says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. When you depend upon God in your weakness, then you are strong because you stand on the word of God because he is with you. Psalm 37 says, by the Lord, the steps of a man are made firm and strong and secure. And then God delights in his way. Though a man fall, he will not fall headlong because the Lord upholds his hand. So rely upon him. I'll close with these words from Jude, uh, verse 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, from falling away, and who is able to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.